Hello and welcome to the Wildflower Stories podcast. If you've tuned in before, thank you for joining me again. And if this is your first listen of the podcast, then hello friend. Wildflower Stories encapsulates women with stories marked with pain and mess, but redeemed by God's grace and faithfulness. I sit down with women of all different ages, in all different seasons of life, but with one thing in common, they each have a story to tell. And I hope these stories bring you encouragement, hope and joy in the season you may find yourself in. I'll be releasing an episode once a month for now, so whatever you're doing in this moment, on your commute to work, driving the kids to school, or leisurely sitting down with a coffee in hand, I hope today's story is one you need to hear. Welcome to episode one of the revamped returning of the Wildflower Stories podcast. You may have joined me in my last couple of seasons of the podcast. However, due to some unforeseen circumstances in my personal life, I had to finish podcasting for a while. But after much prayer and a spurt of new vision, I'm back with you and excited to introduce a new lot of inspiring women. But today, I'm going to be sharing a little glimpse of my own journey with you. I have to be honest and tell you how hesitant I was to start the podcast with my story, but I felt God more than once nudge my heart to share it before I share other stories. If you've been following the Wildflower Stories on Instagram, I've been releasing a series of blogs every couple of weeks, getting upfront and personal about what these past few months have entailed for me. But today you get a front row seat of the full movie, if you will. So I thought I'd start by telling you a few things about me. I live in the southwest Sydney, um, Australia, with my amazing husband, Ash, who I've been married to for three and a half years. We have a beautiful 20-month-old daughter, Willow Alasne, who is 50% sweet and 50% sassy. I am also pregnant with my baby girl number two, who will be joining us in late February, but because Willow is late, I'm assuming this baby will be late too, so she'll probably be a March baby. I am one unit away from finishing my primary teaching degree. I've been studying for almost six years, y'all. So let's just say I will be celebrating my graduation on an island somewhere. I love to read books and I have a goal this year to read one book a month. But by June, that goal did not seem achievable. But I'm trying to make up for the two or three books I haven't read yet by the end of the year, so please wish me luck. I also love to cook and host dinners, which I don't do often because we are currently living with my grandma, but we'll hopefully do more of when we have our own place. And the most important thing about me is that I love Jesus and live my life gratefully glorifying him. So, there you have it. Before I get into the meat of my story, I want to first make a disclaimer and say that this is not a woe is me, sympathy searching kind of episode, but it's me talking openly about something that many women go through or may experience to an extent in their lifetime. And I want to shed light on the topic as a Christian who believes that God heals, and yet has been and is still going through a messy season that can often feel overwhelming and isolating. So I'm reaching out my hand to anyone who knows what this feels like. 
You are definitely not alone, and I am a testament to that. If you listen to my mental health podcast back in season one, you will be aware that I dealt with insomnia and depression for most of my teenage years. I then went on to have frequent anxiety attacks in my early adult life. I remember roaming the streets of Melbourne a year out of high school as a Bible college student. We were attending a Kids Shaper conference and had a few hours to spare in between sessions. We were in a chocolate shop of all places and out of nowhere I began to have a panic attack. I remember telling my then boyfriend, now husband, that I needed to leave the shop that instant. He took my hand and led me outside. I took some puffs of my Ventolin and over the next few minutes began to return to my normal rhythm of breathing. That was from what I can recall my first anxiety attack of many to come. Fast forward to a couple of months leading up to me falling pregnant with Willow. We were married for a year and decided that we wanted to try for a baby. Yes, I know many people in this day and age would drop their jaws in shock at that decision to have a baby so early on, but if you know me, you know I only ever wanted to be a mum. As a teenager, I remember having this intense fear that I was going to struggle to have a baby. I don't know why I even thought of it so early on, but it stayed with me all the way to adulthood. So when we decided to try for a baby, that fear came tumbling through. I honestly believe it was what actually prevented me from falling pregnant. And in the fourth month of trying for a baby, I officially stopped tracking my ovulation on an app, as tracking my ovulation was making me anxious, and I surrendered our desire for a baby to God. We fell pregnant that month. It was a beautiful miracle, and I believe God was teaching me something significant in those few months of waiting. He kept saying over and over again, let me prove my faithfulness to you. I have kept that promise with me ever since, and I constantly pray over others in waiting seasons too. My pregnancy was a dream, apart from the typical morning sickness, aches and back spasms. Once Willow was born, the anxiety slowly weaved its sneaky way back into my mind. And it makes me sad thinking about it. But in hindsight, I expected it to. I became obsessed with setting a routine for her. I even bought a sleep routine guideline online and became a part of the company's Facebook group. Now don't get me wrong, this is not all bad. It's important to prioritise your baby's sleep. But it gave me so much anxiety to the point that I would be on the floor in tears. The sleep deprivation was one thing, but another was the exhaustion I was putting my mind through. I look back at the first year of Willow's life and often say how the anxiety robbed me of experiencing joy as a first-time mother. In many ways it did, but in other ways it led me to a greater awareness of God's grace and how much I need it every single day. I didn't seek professional help back then. I managed it like I had when I was a teenager and with my incredible support network I was able to morph into my new identity as a mother in the most beautiful and life-giving way. Once Willow turned one, 
I exhaled as if I was holding on to my breath for the entire year. I know it sounds crazy, but it was a big turning point for me in this motherhood journey. I went on with life. I returned to uni for my final year. I went to work a couple of days a week, started tutoring on the side, and of course was loving being a mum more than ever. And then in June of this year, I had an inkling I was pregnant. I stopped breastfeeding when Willow was 16 months, which was back in May. But my cycle returned months before, and then one month it didn't. So I began researching, as you do, and discovered that stopping breastfeeding can cause a cycle delay, which made me feel relieved. But as the days passed, I began feeling physically nauseous, like I did when I was pregnant with Willow. And lo and behold, I was pregnant. My husband was thrilled. I, on the other hand, had other reservations. I wasn't ready. And the guilt of having those feelings weighed on me as if I was carrying a pile of bricks on my shoulders. What a different experience it was to the first time I felt pregnant. Thoughts began flooding my mind. Don't you realize how lucky you are? Women all around the world can't even experience the privilege of carrying a child. You wanted this all your life and now you're not ready? And as the days turned into weeks, I turned into a slump. Depression hit me like a crashing wave. I would be afraid to be alone, begging my husband to come home whenever he could. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to read books. I didn't want to cook or even spend time with my daughter. This was not me. In addition to all of this, I had pregnancy nausea. So intense I had to take medication for it. I didn't get any relief from it day and night. Even going to church was hard. I had been asked to share the offering message a couple of times at church and declined because I was not in a healthy mental state. I didn't want to be on stage. I felt too vulnerable. Tears would stain my pillow as I went to sleep at night. It had gotten too dark too quickly. I knew I needed help. I eventually came out of my first trimester feeling more joyful about this impending birth. I started feeling physically better too, which helped me mentally. I felt like I could handle this. I felt more like myself again. I began putting makeup on again. I began eating better and exercising more. Things were finally looking up. And then they were. The anxiety, the depression, the isolation. It all returned with a violent bang. I had my good days and I had my bad days. It hit me most on a Sunday night as I was anticipating a new week. What was this week going to look like? Am I going to feel as lonely as I did last week? Questions would pop into my head as a precursor for the anxiety I felt on those nights. So I began to take inventory. I began to go for walks on a Monday morning to give God the first part of my day, my week, and surrender my fears to Him. I began to take the Sabbath seriously and not do any housework or uni work or any work for that matter on a Sunday. I began to listen to podcasts that would stimulate my thinking more and cause me to think beyond my current situation. I tried and re renewed my mind again with scripture and I finally decided 
to see a psychologist. I'm on, I'm on the road to healing, but healing isn't linear. It's a journey of twists and turns, forwards and backwards steps. But as long as I'm putting one foot in front of the other, even on the days I don't want to get out of bed, it's progress. One thing my psychologist had said in our first session was that all the anxiety and depression I've experienced in my life often has one root cause. And so I've been introspecting, pinpointing the moments I feel anxious and what led me to it. And I'm, I'm discovering more that it's my need to be in control, to have things in a state of organization and order, a perfection that I seek but can never attain. I've always known that about myself, but I truly haven't thought about how much it is all interconnected until now. And I'm so glad I realized it now and not when I'm 54. Corinthians 10 verse 4 to 5 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I wrote down this verse and stuck it on my bedroom wall. It's what I often read aloud whenever anxiety takes over. It's almost become my anthem during this season. One of my prayers, not goals, but prayers is what I like to call them, at the beginning of the year was to fall in love with the Word of God again. I've become like the man in James 1 verses 23 to 24, who looks at his face in the mirror and after walking away, immediately forgets what he looks like. Reading the Bible became a sense of routine and religion and not a willing desire for intimacy with my Creator. Maybe that's why the anxiety caved in more than it should have. I allowed it to because I didn't allow the Word of God to be my source of truth. Instead, the irrational thoughts that anxiety led me to believe is what I was standing on. I'm still dealing with anxiety. Like I said, it's a journey of healing that cannot be rushed, and I know it's something much of our society faces today. It saddens me because I know how much it can consume every part of you, to the point of no sleep, or no desire to eat, or no, no going out and preferring to stay home in your comfortable safe space. But the point of me sharing my own journey of dealing with a mental illness is to give others permission to do so. I grew up knowing that vulnerability is strength. My parents never taught me to believe that it was a weakness, but much the opposite. And I know so many people who don't believe that to this day. They, they see it as a weakness. But you only have to look at Jesus himself to know that vulnerability has the power to heal. He shared himself to the point of death with, with his disciples. They knew him as a brother and a friend, and he was the saviour of the world. What more could vulnerability achieve? 
My heart for this podcast is for safe spaces to be created for women to share their deepest pain, their overwhelming joys and their wildest dreams in light of the glorious truth of the gospel that God is redeemer of our pain, celebrator of our joys and instiller and believer of our dreams. May you find a safe space here as you listen to stories of women to encourage women like you to know that you are not alone. You have a purpose, and so does your story. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it for you to join me every month, so please subscribe with one simple click and share the podcast around to whoever needs to hear. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, so give me a follow and a like. Your support is so appreciated. Praying you have a great week this week, and I'll be back in the next few weeks with another inspiring story to share.